don't even know why I got a phone at this point. I might as well just get a pager. I'm about to record this new Miseducation of the People featuring the phenomenal Adrian Augustus, founder and board member of a Beautiful Mind Foundation. We all know that COVID-19 has had a negative impact on our country. However, some amazing things has grown during this time, such as innovative ways to serve and impact communities of color, especially when it comes to mental health resources. So today, we're talking about that and what people are doing across the country to make it better, trusting the process while navigating the redirections to life. We're also talking about the negative effect of microaggressions in the workplace, her amazing work that she's doing with law enforcement and efforts to improve community relations, especially when it comes to mental health incidents. And for all my entrepreneurs out there, she's dropping jewels when it comes to fundraising effectively. All right, so with that said, let's go. Beats by Pete Samples. Education. What's going on? Welcome to another episode of the Miseducation of the People. I'm your host, Taryn Morgan. You know, what's going on with y'all? Feeling good over here. You know, of course, shout out to my bae, Rihanna. Riri, what's good? How you doing? You know, she dropped a new line. You know, it's nothing. She said, you know, she's going to let the other dudes be out there, but she said she's going to have me as a model in the future. So, you know, keep an eye out. She said she want to keep me in the stash, you know. Sometimes you got to say the best for a little bit later. You know, you don't drop the big joker in the beginning. So she holding out, you know, I'm like the, uh, in case of emergency. So y'all might see me out there. So, you know, Riri was good. But, uh, anyway, feeling good. Came into this week, refreshed, took a little time down to Baltimore for a little mini staycation, sprinkled in with a little bit of work, you know, uh, reconnected with my people and made some new connections. Shout out to Tiana, Jen, Juju was good. I'm only shouting out people that I know that listen. (laughs) So, you know, I, but, um, Definitely, I've been uh, receiving a lot of amazing responses when it came to this podcast, especially when it comes to just random people, strangers and all that stuff. So I'm like, it's a blessing. Things are going the way it's supposed to go. So, you know, it is what it is, you know. But I had to uh, get a chance to woosah down in Baltimore because, you know, I've been working for over a year, some change on this business and just in general trying to make some life changes when it comes to my finances and all that stuff. So, you know. It's good to, you know, just unplug sometimes, um, even though it wasn't really a true unplug, but, you know, I'm going to get there eventually, you know, but at least I took that effort to get there, you know what I mean? But um, they had a jacuzzi in the joint, you know, I had to go to my little hidden jewel spot, you know, right? So my big ass was in the tub, pretending like I was in the opening scene of Baby Boy. <laughs> like, I was in there just having a good time, you know what I mean? Watching the boondocks from the tub, like, you, you don't realize, like, how freeing and healing it is not I mean just to sit in some water so that that's something for me you know especially now it's getting um cold out here so you know just a little get away real quick but of course when i came back home bathroom sink was clogged and i battled that joint for two hours after driving back and unpacking so i'm like man universe gonna do that but it's all good though you know because right now i can add plumber to my resume you know kind of nice i fixed that joint but anyway so we in october you know it's a new month, new goals. Um, life is like a relay race. Your ancestors, your parents, your grandparents, etc. They passed you the baton. Are you holding the lead? Are you working your ass off? Or are you losing the race and embarrassing the legacy? Shit's getting real out here, and tomorrow may not come for that thing you have been postponing. That thing you're saying, oh, I'm going to do next Monday. I'm going to start next week, whatever. Nah, just, just get started. You know, you don't got to do anything crazy. One small step. And brick by brick by brick, that's how buildings are built. Just the same thing when it comes to you achieving whatever you have in mind, you know. So for me, 
um, I knew that I want to scale and I want to personally be doing this job full time by December 9th, 2021, which is the official three year anniversary of the Real Talk Session series, you know, uh, of at least me following the LLC. So in order to really advance myself and to get to that point and to hit that target, you know, I got a media business coach, you know, shout out to Dave Anderson, you know, bully gang, we out here, but um, definitely excited for that new endeavor. Um, and that's the thing too, like you cannot be afraid to invest in yourself. And I want to be very clear. You want to make sure that you actually do your research on the people that you are investing in, because at the same time, it goes both ways, you know, a business coach, they're helping you out, but you know, you're giving financial gain to them and your potential, um, resources and all that stuff too. So, you know, I had to do my homework, so I highly suggest to y'all to do your homework, but, um, you know, definitely check out Dave Anderson. He's official and I'm excited to see what's to come. And, you know, we ready over here at real talk session series to make this shit really pop. So, you know, get ready. We got some stuff coming, you know, um, and you know, kind of good transition. It's getting cold out here. So we are opening the video vault. You know, I had a lot of stuff in there, you know, we got some audio, we got some video. We, we really got some stuff in the stash. So y'all are beginning to see some stuff coming out right now. So, Last week, we released the Melanated Mental Health Moment Quarantine Edition uh, in conjunction with Act Now and a Beautiful Mind Foundation. And, you know, here goes a little clip it right here. I don't know why I said clip it, but a clip. <laughs> here you go. Hello, I am Terry Morgan II, CEO and Creative Director of the Real Talk Session Series. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, we have seen an alarming increase in citizens developing mental health conditions across this nation. Despite the increased need for mental health assistance, there still is a great lack of culturally competent resources available to the communities of color across the nation. To combat this, we have teamed up with A Beautiful Mind Foundation and Act Now, a program of NAMI New Jersey, to bring you the Melanated Mental Health Moment Quarantine Edition Educational Miniseries. Over the next couple of weeks, we will be releasing weekly videos that will cover different coping strategies that will help those who are struggling with mental health conditions. If there are any topics that you would like for us to touch on, please email info at realtalksessionseries.org. We look forward to helping you get right mentally. Over the next few weeks, we'll be releasing weekly videos on different topics when it comes to mental health support, especially when it comes to uh, quarantine, because, you know, a lot of people are going through things and this is a very different time, especially when it comes to, you know, us just living as human beings and dealing with emotions inside of a pandemic. So, you know, we're just trying to make sure we're being a resource. It is free. So please pass it along to anyone that you may know who is struggling um, and make sure you're checking out um, NAMI, that's National Alliance of Mental Illness. Um, and also a beautiful mind foundation for resources they may have. Also, something that we are pulling out the vault, you know, we got a little uh, collaboration with It's Juju Bay from a little Juju podcast. And October is Hoodoo Heritage Month. So, you know, uh, it's very important for us to educate and to really decolonize our thoughts, especially when it comes to different religions. Um, Hoodoo is a religion that our ancestors in Africa practice that our enslaved ancestors in America use to really uh, persevere and to protect themselves and whatnot. 
um, and really just trying to um, educate people on stuff. You know, the show is called The Miseducation of the People. And a lot of our practices as black people, they have become demonized by, you know, our colonizers. So uh, necessarily just really trying to bring us back to our roots. So uh, shout out to Juju. So, you know, you saw a little extra credit today. So uh, that's that's what we want to call these little um, audio clips and whatnot. We're going to call them extra credit. So you're going to have the Melanated Mental Health Moment, Quarantine Edition, extra credit and the Hoodoo Heritage Month collaboration. So, you know, shout out to Juju. She funny as shit. And she will be on um, an episode in the future, too. So uh, just amazing, good person and good vibes. And um, you definitely will see uh, more stuff. So those will be coming out every week in October. So, um, you know, we're trying to grow. We are expanding. So please share the podcast, rate, review and subscribe. And we're going to do a little something different because, you know, um, I want to show appreciation for the people who have taken their time to leave a review. It is highly appreciated. You know, I don't take it lightly at all. Um, I honestly don't do this shit for numbers. I don't do it for clicks. I just do it because this information needs to get out there. And, um, you know, I want to do my part to really empower our people because they're not doing it. So we can't expect for somebody else to do it. And sometimes if you want to see that change, you have to be that change. You have to create the change. You know, sometimes it takes one person to start dancing for the whole party to start popping. I mean, so I never had a problem with getting shit popping so it's it's whatever all right so we're gonna go ahead and read some reviews so absolutely fire i don't know these listeners these these are all apple reviews so you know go on there go ahead and take a look profound thought presented in a super approachable way excited to be subscribed and following the series salute thank you to you appreciate it and to see a podcast i'm always looking for one that's created by and made for black people this podcast is just that I'm loving the real talk that's taking place in each episode and looking forward to what he has in store for the future. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Came across this podcast after it was suggested to me by a friend, and I'm glad I did. Current relevant topics discussed from angles that I, and I'm sure quite a few others, never viewed them from. Definitely recommend giving it a listen. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Dope show filling it so far. All right, folks. And I mean, I appreciate y'all. Definitely. Um, And... Please feel free to leave your review and you never know. It might get read over the air. So shout out to all y'all. So please make sure you go ahead and review on iTunes and also just subscribe. Honestly, just take your people's phone who got iPhones. Go ahead, search and just subscribe to the joint. And I mean, drop five stars and then, you know, just get their phone back. That's all you got to do. And I mean, if you real out here, you know, <laughs> but um, we got a lot of stuff coming. So please sign up for our email list. That is within the show notes. Uh, we will be sending out some communications. We got some blogs coming. Um, we have some amazing writers that are coming on board, too. So we're going to start putting some articles out and really just trying to, you know, just flood y'all with content and stuff that's going to help y'all get to the best versions of yourselves. Definitely uh, make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube at Real Talk Session Series. And let us know your thoughts. You know, what I mean, like engage with us. Talk to us. we be on here. You know, me and Lynn, we out here. Shout out to Lynn, of course amazing my social media manager but um yeah we, we're human beings talk to us you know hit us up on there uh make sure you're getting that merch too uh we are going to get those hoodies going um we got a lot of stuff going right now but i promise you they are coming asap and the best thing about it is that whenever you buy stuff you're investing in our efforts to bring easily accessible education resources to black communities plus free shipping so, you know what I mean, what 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 more could you want? I mean, 
Unless y'all want me out here signing autographs out there, I could do that eventually. But I ain't no sorry. You know, somebody lied. Got the chopper in the car. Nah, I'm gonna chop in the car, but that's a good song though. Anyway, but um, also lastly, if you are in the spirit to just donate funds, you don't want to merch, whatever. For some reason, I don't know. You can gift it. We got Black Friday coming up now. Maybe we'll have some sales. But uh, if you just want to donate in general, please visit realtalksessionseries.org. And you know, it is greatly appreciated. Any amount, give me a penny, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you want to do, whatever's on your heart. So I appreciate it definitely. Alright, so on to world news. So in the Truman Show, <laughs> that's what it felt like for real. Because every single week it's like a new episode that's gets more unpredictable consistently. So shout out to whoever is writing the story of America because yeah, I don't know what's going on. So um I did not watch the debate. First off, I'm old and it's past my bedtime. Second, I just see it as entertainment. And pink-eyed Pence and Trump are master dodgers, so I don't get any substance from them, you know? And flies usually are attracted to shit, but, you know, anyway. Sidebar, when I saw them pictures on Twitter, I had a whole story in my mind developed. Like, the flies homie back home was like, yo, that's the homie Flyler. He made it big. He on national TV. Now, I mean, Flyler came back to the hood like, you know, something slight. Now, I mean, they thought I wasn't going to run up, but I did, you know? But that, that was just my thought, really. But, um, yeah, I didn't watch the debate. Um, and honestly, I'm not going to really speak on it because I don't want to speak from a misinformed place, which some of y'all should be following my lead because y'all be loud and wrong and looking dumb. So, you know, I don't want to follow that trend. So, yeah, the debate. Um, make sure you do your own research, of course, with these candidates because there's a lot of stuff on the line. Um, and we just need better conditions. You know, I'm kind of uh, afraid for my children, but it's whatever. We're going to make it through. Um, you know, y'all saw your boy Trump. He got COVID-19 and he's telling people not to take it seriously. Mask off, all that stuff. Mask off. Fuck your mask off. Do not listen to him. Um, I understand that our people do not like to believe facts sometimes. They don't like to believe anything that medical professionals say or the media. Um, let me just let y'all know. I'm not the media. I'm someone that actually does their own research and is informed and understands and can look through the BS that we're being told. This show is called The Miseducation of the People for a Reason. And what we're being told is a prime time example of miseducation. You know, we have uh, young guy Trump talking about, oh, don't be afraid of it. I'm going to tell you all, right? You have to live your life. Absolutely. But please know that COVID is extremely serious and Tons of people are dying. People that I know have been truly affected by this. And it's only going to get worse as we get into the winter. So I want y'all to really wear your mask and avoid these indoor gatherings as it starts getting cold. I understand, you know, to be human is to be social. However, we need to be extremely smart because, yeah, the proof is in the pudding. And the data confirms that communities of color are the ones suffering the most from this pandemic. The wealth of the rich relies on the work that we put in while they're chilling because they have the privilege of knowing how business and law works. They're the ones that are running these businesses. They're exploiting us and they're not even trying to hide it. We see it with your boy Trump, $750. Get the fuck out of here. Why are the rich being taxed less than the hardworking poor and middle class? But you know, 
it is what it is get out there and vote please make sure that y'all are ready to create change like i know y'all think that it doesn't matter yes it does matter first matter of hand presidential voting and then we're going to talk about the local elections that need to occur afterwards you need to be actively involved with that but priorities currently we know what the most significant thing is coming up and we had to do um more stuff with your boy trump he's ending negotiations on additional stimulus package until after the election so pretty much using it as a tactic for people to vote for him in order to get more money people sell they sold some money um they lose the integrity for it but you know act wisely please um so recently biden has committed to eliminating student debt for anyone making less than one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars that has attended a public institution so there's like a lot of gray right now because that recently came out and then i know in the debates there was some stuff that came out that wasn't really aligning with that so let's keep an eye on it do your own research and i will keep you all updated because i'm personally hoping this comes through because a good brother is kind of like six figures almost so i'm like yeah we need to make sure that you know we hold these politicians accountable for their actions if in fact he does get there so yeah lastly the mail-in ballots have started to arrive please make sure that you're putting on an extra stamp currently because of the requirements to send it back and you know the privacy and all that good stuff right um it is overweight so if you do not have an extra stamp on it then it will not be counted and i don't think that's really public information like that so please make sure that you're putting extra stamps on your uh, mailing ballots when it's time for you to send your stuff in. So World Mental Health Day is October 10th. So we wanted to celebrate in style with the amazing, the phenomenal woman, Miss Adrienne Augustus, founder and board member of A Beautiful Mind Foundation. Now you've heard this, her name many times. You heard about this foundation and you know, I cannot stop bigging them up for the work and the funding that they have been providing for many people across this nation. So, you know, I'm not going to spoil it too much. So here goes the episode. All right. Hey, how you doing, Adrian? Thank you so much for coming on to the Miseducation of the People podcast. We definitely, truly appreciate it. How are you doing today? I'm doing so well. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be talking to you today. Yes, no, no problem at all. And definitely appreciate everything that you have done to contribute towards what we're doing at the Real Talk Session Series, which we'll get into in the conversation, you know. But before we actually get into that, can you tell us about A Beautiful Mind Foundation and what inspires you to actually start that? Sure. So A Beautiful Mind Foundation is a 501c3 grant-making mental health public charity. Um, when I say grant-making, that's as opposed to providing some sort of mental health service. When I created A Beautiful Mind Foundation, my goal was to fundraise and generate funding that we could give to other organizations supporting culturally competent mental health support services and education programs. And so right now, um, the foundation now just being a little over a year, we have been focusing on communities of color. So what inspired you to start this journey of the organization? You know, it's, it's a road that I've been on for the last, I'd say maybe Five, four to five years, um, right. at least, that I can see very clearly started in the last four to five years. Everything that we do over our lifetimes, I think, all builds and supports the next thing we're supposed to be doing. But um, after experiencing um, severe bout of depression, as right. I was moving out of that and moving towards recovery, I, I just realized that there was something that I was supposed to be doing with my, my mental health experiences. 
And someone had mentioned the National Alliance on Mental Illness to me, and I had never heard of it. Um, you are familiar with NAMI New Jersey. You know them yes, well. Shout out and, to NAMI. Right, exactly. Um, NAMI plays a, a, an important part of my life, um, mainly because when I was moving into recovery after that extreme round of depression, I started going to one of their support groups. And then I started, I became a facilitator and then actually worked for NAMI Nevada, where I was living in Las Vegas at the time, and then um, was recruited to work at the national office in Arlington, Virginia. And during that time, that was about a two to three year period, I was learning a lot about mental health and mental illness. And I had already done my own research because I had learned many years earlier about my own um, serious mental illness that I had been living with. But as I was working at NAMI and just having conversations, finally talking publicly about my own mental health diagnosis, I realized that there were really big gaps in how mental health is and is not addressed with people of color. And as an, you know, as an African-American woman, obviously I have that personal perspective. Um, you understand our, our community. Um, and, and part of it included me finding out in my early 20s that my grandmother, this is after she died, my grandmother mm. lived and at times struggled with bipolar disorder. And oh, bipolar wow. disorder, yeah, bipolar disorder is genetic. And so um, battling with the truth of uh, her truth with my truth and recognizing that um, the African-American community, Latinx, Native American, Asian American community all have different um, challenges when facing mental illness because of our cultures, mm. because I like to say the the one size fits all pill for for supporting mental health and mental illness it it just doesn't exist. Oh, and we're so- going to talk about that definitely. <laughs> that's yeah. that's something that I saw in the very beginning of my journey. But you know, sorry to interrupt, but definitely right. Like we we don't all speak the same language. Literally, I mean, when we're talking about the mm-hmm. Latinx population, there is a loss in translation at times. But so in in seeing all of this um, and. Also, back about four or five years ago, I realized I no longer wanted to work in the corporate sphere. I was a television news reporter. I worked in um, corporate communications, public relations, and I was stressed out. And I said, enough of being stressed out for big dollars that other people are making. I'm going to do something. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that, yes, chasing yeah. that paper is not good if it is beating you down. And Absolutely. so- Right. It's it's all about mental health, mental wellness. So I just went and dove face first into grad school. And this is at the same time I started working for NAMI Nevada. And I, I started um, school at, to get my master of public administration with a focus in nonprofit management. And I knew that I wanted to do something in mental health. That was just my focus. That was the path that I felt like I was on. And it was it was very clear. Um, what was not clear to me was that a year before I would graduate, I would be given an opportunity to start this mental health foundation. And it was it was because I needed to complete a graduation requirement, but I still had a year to graduate. <laughs> and so I said, all right, you know, what, what am I going to do? I'm still in school. I was working. Um, I, I think I was just leaving NAMI at that time. And I said, all right, well, I have the time. I can at least live off of student loans, you know, for better and for worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I set out the paperwork for a beautiful mind foundation and the IRS took three weeks to mm-hmm. come back with the certification for the 501c3 paperwork. So when that happened, I was like, oh, this is happening. Like, this is, this is really <laughs> real. 
You know, I've, I've got yeah. I have a small board of directors and I, I'm officially official. So I guess I better keep going. So, you know, when you have a, a vision and a mission for, for getting something done, sometimes it's a one person band for a while and you're just beating that drum to make it happen. Right. You you know how that works. Um, and so that's what it was for, for a little while. But I did have some great and I still do have some great friends who were who provided amazing emotional support um, through this mm. process because I was still a full time student. But I was very clear on the understanding that I needed to start this off by focusing on communities of color because yeah. we need to have more information and delivered to us in a way that reaches us as individuals, as people with um, cultural backgrounds that severe, seriously impact how we look at health in general and healthcare in general, but then specifically mental health where there's already a stigma attached to it. Um, it we, we need people of color need additional support, different support and, and help so that we can move into recovery mm-hmm. at, at, in the way that other people can when they're not facing challenges of racism and, and different things like that. Yeah, definitely. It is a, a very interesting struggle when you're navigating the mental health field. Um, it's been similarly to you, uh, with my family members, I haven't. We have. We don't really talk about mental health and whatnot. But I suspect that there has been a history of some mental health uh, conditions within my family too. So it's like just looking at patterns and behaviors from the past, and I'm like, this is kind of similar to what I went through. So you know, uh-huh. a lot of families, you know, because of that stigma and that shame, almost, you know, it's like we don't really talk about what's going on. But I think it's very crucial because a lot of people are definitely suffering in silence. So thank you for the yeah. work that you're doing at a beautiful mind, especially when it comes to providing grants because oftentimes with organizations, you know, we have amazing ideas. However, we don't have the funding behind us to actually execute it. So, you know, making that an easier, um, an easier process to help people get these projects out there to help communities of color, especially when it comes to mental health stuff is definitely uh, amazing. And definitely thank you for selecting us to be a part of the inaugural grant recipients from your organization. So uh, FYI out there, I out there to the people who are listening currently, uh, check out the first episode of the Melanated Mental Health Moment Quarantine Edition that we have uh, put out there in partnership with the Beautiful Mind Foundation and Act Now, a program of NAMI New Jersey. So can you just give us an idea of how COVID-19 is affecting the mental health of communities of color? Sure. But I, I need to back up for a second because I just mm-hmm. want to say you're welcome um, for providing that grant. I was so excited that we were able to provide you with a, a little bit of funding there to support your program. Um, and I, I don't know if I ever told you, I didn't have anything to do with the initial round of grant reviewing. I made sure that I was completely removed from that because I had a feeling that I would recognize names on the applications and I just did not want, I didn't want to have to make any hard decisions, right? And you and I hadn't really met. We had just chatted, I think over Facebook very briefly or Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I was very excited when the, the reviewers, um, submitted your application as one of the finalists. Um, and it's, I gotta tell you, it feels really good to, I feel like that Oprah moment, she had that show where she was like, you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. I feel like (laughs) you get money and you get money and you get money. And it's, it's all good. And it's not just to be clear. I am not independently wealthy. I don't have the Oprah money. But Mm -hmm. it's because of donors. People got on board so quickly. And one thing I know I'm good at is fundraising and Mm. being able to communicate um, a message. 
and people could see that this was very important to me. It's a personal mission and they appreciated what I was trying to do. And so that money came from people all over the country. And, yeah. and thankfully we were able to um, include you in our inaugural round of grant recipients. So um, back to your question about COVID and impacting communities of color. So, uh, well, and mental health. So, um, you know, we've seen all the statistics and the reports showing that the people of color, African-American and the Latinx communities are dying mm. at greater rates from coronavirus. And so that plays a psychological toll on us. Even if you don't know someone who has passed away from uh, coronavirus, just knowing that that we are in the population that, that almost, I mean, to me, it almost feels like we're being targeted by this illness. Now, now obviously we know that our, right, right. And, and it's, the reason it's happening is because of uh, the the system that has already set us up to, in many ways, fail. Where we're, we don't have access yep. to the healthcare we need, we don't have access to the healthy foods that we need. Food deserts and and mm. corner stores selling junk food, and that's what the, the kids pass five of them on the way to school. It, it's yep. all of that that is already weighing us down and bogging us down psychologically and and um, physically. And now mm. we have coronavirus just adding to that, and so when a lot of folks already had reason to be depressed and anxious. Now we have this, this virus that is um, taking us out on top of everything else. And so, yeah, that's just compounding uh, a, a, an emotional and psychological problem where we already didn't have enough support. Um, yeah. But I will say, and I, I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen this also, and, and you are part of this where with everybody stuck at home, I feel like there was just this explosion of online content where people are talking about mental health. And mm -hmm. I, it's something that I don't think any of us had seen before. Uh, depression and anxiety became the hot button topics on the news. And it suddenly became okay to talk about these things because more people were experiencing them. So, mm -hmm. you know, coronavirus has been and still is a, a horrific ongoing trauma that doesn't have an end at this point. It, it, I, I liken it to mm -hmm. this uh, like slow moving car accident that we are all, we're in the car, but we're also on the sidewalk watching it happen at the same time. Um, yes. And, and so there's, there's that, but because of it, the upside is that people are finally facing mental illness and, and what it means to take care of your mental health. And mm -hmm. so and, and, and I see it happening with people of color and particularly the younger millennials who are, are gosh, the, 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 they, the younger millennials have this sense of like self-esteem. I mean, I know a lot of them are suffering from anxiety, but they just yeah. speak up. I mean, they have this voice mm -hmm. that, that generations before them just really didn't have when it comes to talking about mental health. Yeah. And, so, and especially Gen Z, they're using social media as a tool to communicate so yeah, you're saying you know, like you said, the social media um, that is especially when people are stuck at home. That's how folks are communicating. So while we are being, you know, co coronavirus is compounding the emotional and psychological challenges that we all were already facing um, as people of color. Um, there seem to be some new outlets that are showing up that are allowing people to learn more about it and to get themselves help and to get their loved ones help. 
Um, I yes. mean, I, I'll, I'll just say my, my mother, uh, who's in her, she, she just turned 70 this year. She's a part of this group, uh, social group with a bunch of ladies in her generation. And they asked mm. me to speak at their meeting. And okay. I mean, right? Like this is, they're, they're all older African-American women. And I'm sure that openly talking about mental illness is not something that folks sit down and, and do at the Sunday dinner table. Yep. And so because this is now a, a hot topic and, and we need to keep it out there, right? It can't be the thing that fades away because 2021 brings us something else weird. Um, mm. it, it's it's a discussion that's finally happening. And and I think the shame is starting to peel away. Mm. Um, and we, we just need to keep chipping at it and, and, and also pushing for more people, young people of color to go into the mental health practitioner field. Absolutely. And one thing that I keep bringing up is that 2020 is the year of detachment. So mm -hmm. all of the prior stigmas and ideals, antiquated mindsets are starting to go away. And we're seeing that those things no longer serve us. So we have to evolve and transfer uh, and really just transform into something different. And especially when it comes to mental health, I'm seeing a lot of people who are focusing on healing their traumas that they faced all these years and a lot of community healing initiatives that are coming out there. And um, I work in higher education. And one of the things that we have is called meeting students where they are. And right now, you know, we can't go anywhere, but everyone are, are we're all are on our digital devices, we're on social media and all that stuff. So, you know, especially when you think about um, resources for education, people don't know where to go or necessarily they may not be able to afford it or they might physically not be able to make it there. So by bringing the stuff to social media, to online, you know, it's easier for us to deliver it in a easily digestible way and something that's easily accessible for people because yes. access to education res uh, resources, that's also a very big thing too. And systematically that hasn't been in place. So, you know, the work that you're doing to provide funds, you know, we're creating those culturally competent and um, resources that don't lack cultural humility, you know, to help mm -hmm. out our communities of color, definitely. So uh, we're, we know what we're doing over here at Real Talk Session Series with your support, but can you tell us some uh, of the work, the projects that other organizations that you have gr gifted grants are doing currently across the nation? Yes. So there is one group in, and, and we provided grants to 20 groups and organizations. And so there's a group in Washington, D.C. that uh, supports domestic uh, survivors of domestic violence and predominantly mm. in the Asian American community. And so they came up with this wonderful art therapy program where mm. they asked us for funding to create adult coloring books. And, and uh, for anybody who's not listening, if that sounds weird, adult coloring books are, are really becoming a huge, huge way to, um, I want to get one. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, right. and, and they're, and they're fun. Cause you know what it is? It's like, it's, it's sort of a mindless activity where just Absolutely. you're focused on just, and you don't have to stay in the lines, right? Whatever, you, you do what you want. But it, it's something, it's, it is art therapy and it helps people relax and it helps to kind of distract you from things where if your mind is spinning out into outer space on 12 million other things, here now you can focus on just this activity of color and, and just being lost in that. And so yeah. um, because our grant making program started right as COVID started shutting everything down, we made sure that people knew if they needed to take programs that were originally in person and put them online, that we would help support with with funding for you know for for virtual platforms and and other uh, content. And so this organization is um, they created coloring books. They wrote them not just in English but in Chinese, Japanese, Urdu, and Vietnamese. 
and they mailed out. Yeah. They mailed out the books. And that's why, I mean, it's, it's just, when we talk about cultural competency, that's it right there. One of the organizers Mm -hmm. said to me, you know, Adrian, we wanted to do adult coloring books and and art therapy sessions online, but everything's written in English. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's that that impacts somebody's mental well-being. When when you get something, you know, when you get something and there's a brown person on it, that yep. means something as opposed to getting something and all you see is a whole lot of faces that don't look like you, which is yep. basically what you know, it's it, that's been most of our lives. Um mm-hmm. and so they are they provided that and then they they created the coloring books, they mailed them out and then they did two virtual, you know, online um art therapy sessions. Um, mm-hmm. There is a NAMI uh, affiliate that is creating support services in Spanish for the very first time. Nice. Um, there is an organization, a, a, a psychiatrist down in Florida who has a program called Sons to Fathers. And she has programming that is designed for young men of color who are new fathers, who have children between uh, from anywhere from birth to, I believe it's five years old, to receive um, education and emotional, psychological support to help teach them how to be good parents. And I I really love this one, right? Because here's the thing. Yes, we provided a one-time grant to support that program, but this this will have a generational impact. This young lady is providing the training for a particular group. You know, she'll have a a class of young men at this one particular period in time, but then they are present for their children. They are good fathers. These children Mm -hmm. can grow up to be emotionally and psychologically healthy, and then they can go on to be good parents. And it just, it becomes a positive cycle as opposed to somebody has mental health issues or a mental illness and it's not talked about and that person is a dysfunctional parent and then the child grows up with a dysfunctional parent and then in turn becomes mm-hmm. a dysfunctional parent. We're breaking that cycle with with this type of a program. Yeah, um, and what, real quick with that too, I don't think really people understand the importance of being there emotionally for children at a very young age. So that sounds like an amazing program because, you know, if you make sure that that work's being put in at an early age, you don't have to fix that as an adult. Definitely. So exactly. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Definitely. Yep. That early bonding when the, when the child's brain is forming, behaviors are forming, when the parent Mm -hmm. is present and connected, that that's really sets the foundation for who that child can become. And especially Um, like for black men to provide that. So that's, that's beautiful. Definitely. So yes. Yes. And then there are other programs where we're talking about, uh, I mean, that one's also uh, kind of a complete wellness, but uh, holistic approaches where we're talking about physical and mental well-being. And so uh, there's a young lady who does a program at a university and she she was actually operating it. The funding was cut. She continued to do it for free. But because of our grant, now she's able to continue doing it and and not have to nice. go, go into debt forever and ever trying to still bring her mental wellness program to the students at that university. Um, I mean, the, the programs that we funded just range. We, we hit every population, uh, 10 states and the District of Columbia, and we gave away $22,315. And it was just in our and first 10 within months. Within one year. That's, the, yeah. that's the amazing thing to me. Like when I think about it, I'm like, all of this was done in one year. So only imagine what's going to happen every single year. So oh. that actually kind of ties into what I want to ask you. So where do you see your organization within the next five years? <laughs> so this is, I, I feel like if I were a, a real business person, if I was running a business and somebody asked me that question, um, 
my answer of saying, I don't know, is just hashtag fail because you don't ever not want to have that plan. Right. And to run a nonprofit, well, you need to run it like a business. So while I am working very hard to put certain things in place so that we can, we have a strong board of directors because we're all volunteers. There's, there's no money. I'm not even getting $50 uh, you know, monthly stipend. There's nobody's pocketing any of the donations that are coming in the door. We have really mm-hmm. low over, overhead and I'm working very hard to keep it that way. It's just the phone, the website, email. Um, but I had no idea. Uh, where are we now? So a year ago, I had no idea that the foundation would be where it is now. Our one year yeah. anniversary from our official launch and inaugural fundraiser is actually tomorrow. Tomorrow would be the one year anniversary because we always, we, we started it the first day of mental illness awareness week, which starts tomorrow. Um, if somebody had told me a year and a half ago that I was going to be running a mental health foundation in six months, I would have said, who, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I still have to finish school. Um, I mean, it's so, you know, I spoke about this path that I'm on and I, I see it and it's, and it's very clear to me, but what has been happening is that I have simply been doing the work I am presenting, you know, trying to create opportunity as much as possible. And when a door opens, I step through it. And I say, you know, my my term is God slash the universe. I feel very strongly that God slash the universe has me on this path and on this mission that is so much greater than I am. And I am just being pushed and pulled and directed to move in the direction that is allowing this foundation to grow. You um, appreciate it. <laughs> definitely. So I mean, God, I, you know, universe. yes, yes definitely. I like that. Because like yeah. even with me, it became a spiritual journey for where I'm at right now because I'm like, I was redirected totally. I wanted to be a college president. I could st- still very well be, but with everything that happened with mental health, I got mm. redirected and, you know, I became a mental health advocate and then this business came out of it. So, you know, just really stepping into your purpose and letting your light shine and not suppressing it for someone else, you know, that's, that's what we're here for. You know, that's the purpose. That's our gift. You know, you can't- yes hoard your gift. You have to put it out there. So your, your right. gift is amazing, you know, and it's only the beginning of it. So I'm excited. It, it really it, is. It Thank you. Definitely. I am too. I, there are times when I feel like I should be terrified. I mean, talk mm. about spiritual. I was walking on faith. I didn't have a full-time job for more than a year. I mean, mm. I, I I don't even know. I thought yeah. my money was going to run out at a certain point and, and it just kept going. I said to a friend one time, I was like, it's almost like Hanukkah where they, the, the Jews thought the oil would run out of the lamps, but it, the, the oil mm. lasted. I, I don't, my bank account, I don't know how that money lasted, but God slash universe has me on this mission. And, and, the, mm-hmm. and like you said, you, you, you thought your trajectory was to be the president at a, at a school, but sometimes what we have, what we're focused on doing is not what we're supposed to be doing. Yep. And when you get redirected, it it's up to us to recognize that redirection. And so what I say, and, and meditation has become a big part of what I do on a regular basis mm-hmm. as I sit. And, and this is where I sit and I pause. And sometimes the 10 minute meditation I do, if that's all I get, that may be the only 10 minutes out of my day where I am just sitting doing basically nothing. But I am, yeah. what I'm saying is, okay, God slash the universe, what's next? What am I supposed to be doing next? And it comes and I do it. And that's why this whole, the foundation has just run so smoothly and things have just been revealed to me as necessary. Because I think if, if I saw everything, if I had, if I knew in five years exactly what would be happening, my head might explode and I would just go to bed and pull the covers over my head and I'd never come back out. 
Um, it's very clear to me that big things are going to continue to happen. And yes, like you mm -hmm. said, we are just getting started. I, I am moving forward. People keep showing up at the right times. The money is showing up. We received a $10,000 donation from a, an international corporation back okay, in, okay. Um, in July. And so, you know, that's the start of our corporate donation getting. We're, we're, I'm aiming to get $50,000 before the end of this year to set us up for next year's grant cycle because we're $22,000. We, we thought we would do 20 and then COVID mm -hmm. happened and we had to cancel four fundraisers, but we still were able to give away $22,000. That's amazing, definitely. And I, I have this saying of set it and forget it. Set your intentions and forget your fears, you know, and yes. that's just what you're doing, you know. Yes. You're putting out the good stuff in the universe and you're just going to get it. That's so it. switching gears a little bit because uh, I, I spoke about, we, we've been saying cultural competence and then I brought, brought up cultural humility. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of put a definition there for both of these terms because, uh, you know, we have the public out here and this is a uh, non-traditional educational tool, this podcast. So for everyone who's listening, who's not aware, cultural competence is having the understanding of specific different cultures of their needs, um, how they act, different ways to actually serve them in the way that is of their interests. So getting to know them. Cultural humility is having knowledge of that person's um, culture. However, your knowledge, your book knowledge does not trump their actual experiences. So with cultural humility, I'm finding that that's very important for me because, you know, there's been a lot of performative stuff out there because people think, oh, this is what the black community needs or this is what uh, communities of color needs. But they don't actually talk to people who are within these specific cultures. Right. Yes. So have you encountered any professionals that lacked cultural humility and how did that interaction go? Oh, absolutely. And, and I want to throw out one other thing because somebody said to me, cultural compassion. And, mm, and that right. falls in line there, cultural compassion, because it's, it's when you acknowledge that someone has a different understanding and, and life experiences because of their culture, and you feel, mm. you can feel compassion towards them because of it. You may not understand it. It may be completely yeah. out of left field for you, but you are, you can show compassion to that person and acknowledge and accept what they're saying is their truth. Um, mm. I've for sure I've had practitioners, unfortunately, who who didn't who lacked all three of those things. Um, you know, I've I've had well, so so one lovely um, clinician, a, a therapist, a, a white woman, very very nice. I felt very comfortable talking to her. However, um, we know that it's similar to our discussion about the impact coronavirus is having on people of color, that there are just regular everyday stressors that African American population has lived with our entire existence here in this country. Mm -hmm. And so when I had to explain to this very lovely uh, therapist, the stressors that I experienced because I'm a black woman, that did a great disservice to me because mm -hmm. here I am paying for my 45 minutes so that she can help me. But I have to spend half of that time explaining to her why me living with bipolar disorder and mm -hmm. having symptoms that, um, are experienced by other people who have bipolar disorder, but mine are exacerbated because uh, my white boss told me mm. that I speak so well. Or mm. I've had you know, how, like that too. right, right? Oh, like, what, did we just crawl out of the bush in Africa? Like, how am I supposed to yeah. sound? <laughs> and I politely cursed his ass out professionally too, without using a curse word. So right? <laughs> I, I mean, it, 
it's it's those it's it's the microaggressions and and that's a word that I I think is really people are using more and more often now um, because you know microaggression when I was younger that that wasn't a term but we knew what it was we we understood that that it, oh your hair oh how you speak mm-hmm. um, j- just people seeming to be surprised by our mere ability to be present and professional and educated. Uh, and and have good table manners. Um, yep. It's it's those things that those comments, those things that just dig in, that add to what you're experiencing. So when I've had white practitioners who are completely unaware of this difference, and and this is before the term woke became mm-hmm. you know a concept. Um, sure, it was a detriment to to my well being because it, they weren't able to so- support my treatment because they simply didn't know. Yeah. And so Definitely. it's, you know, I, I'm sure that a lot of people have experienced that. And and that also speaks to, though, the reason why a Beautiful Mind Foundation is a grant making foundation is because mm-hmm. I didn't want to create another program it, that's just targeting my community when there are so many people out there like you already working in your community. You know what's needed in your neighborhood, in your mm-hmm. city, in your in your region and and can support people there. And yeah. so it, and that go goes ahead. big with like community healing, too, because, you know, we all have our specific parts that we play in this progression of our our, you know, the black community. So, you know, mm-hmm. people have their strong suits with putting programs together. People have their strong suits with fundraising. People have strong suits with putting documentations together. So, you know, we, we yes. have a very crab in the barrel mentality, but we don't realize the power that we have when we come together and share our resources, too. So yes. you're doing a lot when it comes to community healing that's needed out here and that, you know, I urge people to really think about what uh, Beautiful Mind is doing. Take a look at their website, look at it and see how you can apply it to your people. You see an issue within your community. OK, I know this person that can do this, this, this. And then, you know, put it together, put your team together because you can only go if you want to go far. You have to have a team. If you want to go fast, go by yourself. But it's not going to be guaranteed. Yes that you'll be able to have a strong impact when you're moving by yourself. You need other people. Definitely. That's so, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And I I'll, I just want to say you, thank you for promoting our website. It's a beautiful You can also donate on our website, but of course, first donate to Taryn and then donate to a beautiful mind foundation so we can support other Taryns across the country. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. It'll be in the show notes also. <laughs> so, yes. So I want to switch gears a little bit and get more into you because you spoke about your diagnosis of living with bi- bipolar. So yes. in the beginning, when I um, was diagnosed with depression and anxiety, I kind of looked at it as a curse. And I was like, why me? Like I did everything right. Um, it was work stressors. And then also I had uh, got my second master's degree. I applied to over 200 jobs and I could not find anything at all. Mm. So I was like, I did everything right. Why is this happening to me? Like I saw it as a curse, but then I was able to accelerate my healing when I changed my mindset from why is this happening to me to this is happening for me. And that's when I was able to really push through. So in the beginning stages of your diagnosis, what was your mindset like? Um, Because I want to always share people's stories to help others who may be going through something to see like, okay, they did this, maybe this could help me out or I didn't think about this. So, you know, um, can you just tell us what your mindset was in the beginning, please? Yeah. So um, it was twofold. I actually had to self-diagnose because I I had been living with depression from the age of about 11. And I knew it was depression because I read about it. It was one of those glossy teen magazines and they Mm -hmm. actually did a two page spread on different types of depression. And so I recognized it in me 
but I never really got the treatment I needed. And so in my early 20s, I remember sitting at home and watching a car commercial and I just burst into tears. And it wasn't even one of those car commercials at like Christmas time with the giant bow and the husband gives the wife and everything's perfect and there's snow <laughs> outside. It wasn't that. It was like, you know, oh, it's Thursday. Come get a discount. <laughs> and, and I was in, an, in a space where I said, my life is great. I have this new job. I have a great boyfriend. I love my apartment. But I'm crying for no reason. And so um, I went to my family practice doctor and she pre prescribed an antidepressant and it didn't work. And so then she prescribed another one, still didn't work. And she said, okay, I think something else is going on. I want you to go see a psychiatrist. But, um, you know, you with your two master's degrees, those of us with um, serious mental illnesses, we tend to be highly intelligent. And so I said, all right, I'll make this appointment, but I need to know what's wrong. And so I went to the library and I pulled out probably five, I mean, maybe medical books. I don't even know. I mean, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> and I probably, quite frankly, was manic when I did it. And so I grabbed these books and I sat in the back of the library and I was terrified because while I wanted to know what was wrong, I was a TV news reporter and I was afraid that people would recognize me and see me with this stack of books on mental illness and that I would immediately be tagged and pegged and I would lose my credibility. And so I was sitting in the back of this library, flipping through these books and I got to a section on depression and I read it and I said, okay, yep. I got it. That's that's definitely me. Understood. And the next section was on bipolar disorder. And I don't think I knew much about it, um, but I was scared because, you know, what we see in the media always has the, the worst extreme cases of what bipolar mm -hmm. disorder and schizophrenia look like. And when I read the, the pages about bipolar disorder, I felt like somebody had been following me and had written about me and my picture was going to be on the next page. Mm -hmm. I, I recognized then that I had not only been experiencing depression as a child, but in high school, I had been experiencing hypomania. Um, mm -hmm. I, my, my, and I say I'm lucky because it's just hypomania and not the big, scary, dangerous mania where I think I can fly and I try to, you know, and then I end up off the roof or I'm running mm -hmm. down the street naked, which my grandmother had the extreme mania with psychosis. The TV would talk to her. She, she went running down the street naked a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but when I recognized myself in the section about bipolar disorder, um, after having extreme, well, the hypomania, the bouts of uh, excessive energy, and I would just clean everything. I was in high school and I would just clean everything. And, and I said, okay, that's, that's me. Um, I felt a sense of, for a moment, relief, because I said, okay, now I know the answer. Now I know it's wrong. And I know there's a way to fix this. And then yeah. I thought, oh my God, I have a mental illness and I'm going to have to take medication for the rest of the, my life. And the medication is going to turn me into a zombie and I'm not going to be able to have a job and people are going to make fun of me and I'm going to lose my credibility. Mm. And, and, and this is, this is it. Um, and so I had an appointment with a mental health, uh, a psychiatrist uh, shortly after that. And lovely, lovely lady, Dr. Carr, I'll never forget mm. her. This is in North Carolina, Green. Uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. And I showed up and she said, why are you here? And I just rambled for about 15 minutes, probably without taking a breath, telling her mm -hmm. what I had read and my, the parallels in my life and the, the, my behaviors. And when I finished talking, she said, I think you're right. I think you do have bipolar disorder. And when she said that, that's when it was real. And then I really freaked out. And I was like, hold on, wait a minute. 
we just met. You don't, you don't really know me. Let's, I need you to get to know me a little better. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to take a bunch of different medications. I'm just, let me come back. And she said, okay, that's all right. You can, but I want you to come back. I want to see you again so we can talk more. And I said, okay. Now I don't recall going back right away, but what I do know is that three months later, my grandmother passed away. And that was Mm -hmm. when my father finally admitted that she had lived with bipolar disorder. And he was her primary caretaker his entire adult life. And so as he's telling me this, honestly, like I remember it was like the world stopped turning and shifted sideways and cracked. Because in this moment where I'm hearing him say, my grandmother had this diagnosis that is hereditary. And I had been telling my mother and father for years that I was experiencing depression and and they didn't seek help for me. It was like the the world, my whole world just cracked wide open. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's still something that I'm, you know, I'm working to, to, to move past um, yeah. because I still feel like, you know, why didn't my parents know? Why didn't they help me? But this is, this is the black community where people didn't talk about it. My, my grandmother had several siblings. One of them, um, supposedly accidentally fell off of a roof in his uh, early 20s. And I question mm-hmm. that. The story doesn't seem quite right. Um, mm-hmm. But they say it was an accident. And and so after my grandmother's funeral, I went back home and uh, down to North Carolina. And I said, all right, doctor, my grandmother had bipolar disorder. What medications do you have for me? Yeah, um, yeah. And so it was just, you know, I, 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 I guess I'm that person who... When there's a problem, I want to solve it. Um, mm-hmm. And I and I knew from the reading that I had done that medication for bipolar disorder is is what's necessary um, if you want to be able to function at the best level possible. Now, the track to finding the right medication combination is not easy and not fun. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a struggle. I. I I had several different doctors and again, you know, none of them were black. Um, mm. And sometimes it felt like they were just throwing medications at me. And I think anybody who's ever had to take medication, you probably experienced this. Um, mm. it, it, you know, it's just a series of experiments until you find the right combination. But for me, when I got the right combination, it made all the difference in the world. And okay. I have, I, I still take medication every day. Um, I, it, it's part of what is saving my life. It's that, it's the talk therapy. I run a support group through NAMI for people who live mm-hmm. with mental illness. It's it's having, and it, and it was finally being able to tell people. Being able yeah, to yeah. share my truth without fear of judgment was huge. Yeah, and that it was took, a bit off my shoulders, definitely. Yeah, it, and it took a long time. You know, I, I don't think I started talking publicly about it until at least at least 10 years after I was diagnosed. And and didn't even share it with friends right away. Um, it's 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 big. I I was very fearful, especially when I was a news reporter. I was afraid that even just going to the doctor's appointments that people would recognize me because I would walk into restaurants and everybody's head would turn around and they'd be saying, "Oh, there's Adrian Augustus." Mm-hmm. Um, but even without having that 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 level of of familiarity with my community where people could recognize me, um, and I, it's still just a really hard diagnosis, any mental illness, it's, it's hard to accept. Um, mm. and it's not easy to get the treatment that we need. It's not easy to get family support. 
Um, but you have to fight for yourself. I had to fight for myself. I had to get yeah. myself the yeah. information. I had to go do the research. And then once I realized what it was, I had to make sure that I, if a doctor wasn't listening to me, I had to speak up. And I, I'm a huge advocate for self-advocacy because nobody can Absolutely. advocate for ourselves better than we can. We know our bodies. We know if we're not feeling well. We know if it's more than just being sad or, you know, when, when my dog died a few years ago, I was sad and I grieved, mm -hmm. but I did not become depressed. We know yeah. that there's a difference between those two things. And so when a practitioner is not listening, we have to say, no, I know something's not right. I need something else. If a medication is making us want to sleep for 15 hours a day, or mm -hmm. you're gaining weight, or your sex drive is lowered, whatever, you know your body, you know your mind, you mm -hmm. have to have to fight and advocate for yourself so that you can be okay. And, and that's what I had to do for myself. And, and I just continue to do it. And, and even okay. if... You know, even if it's not someone like you or me who is able to talk publicly about it or even tell all their friends about it, just mm -hmm. do the fight for yourself with your doctors and your therapists. Make sure you Absolutely. get the help to be okay. Yes. Thank you for uh, definitely opening up about that. I truly appreciate it. You know, uh, people's stories are powerful and I'm more so like I get a lot out of people telling what's going on and especially like within the medical system, um, just in general, the... Um, how black women are treated, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to that system. So I highly suggest asking them to document their fact that they want to refuse any symptoms that you're facing. And I'm confident that their tone will change. So, you know, but the main thing is really advocating for yourself. And um, similar to you, uh, when I first got diagnosed, um, you know, everything came up, you know, being, being angry at my parents and all that stuff. But then I had to really realize that there's no manual for life at all. You know, mm -hmm. and I looked at myself at that point and when they were my age and I'm like, yeah, I'm a hot mess now. <laughs> so I can only <laughs> imagine what you were going through, you know, so so like that's one thing I had to, I, that helped me out to get over it, you know. And um, one of my mentors, she always explained it to me like we are like new models for cars. You know, our parents didn't have the sunroofs and all that. But now we have the sunroofs, oh. we have the heated seats and all that stuff. And we're just going to pass down that information, the positive information to the next generation. And they're going to have something that's going to be even better than what we have, you know? Like so it's that. really breaking those generational patterns. Um, I don't like to say generational curses because, you know, mm. we're, we're, we make our choices, you know, we're able to change our destiny in a sense. Sometimes, you know, I still believe in, you know, guidance of God, ancestors, the universe and all that stuff, but, you know, just making it better. And going back to the period of mania, um, there were some, uh, times where I actually have some hypomania uh, episodes and this business is actually a result of me going through those periods. So like there was a point in my life where um, in the beginning of my diagnosis where I would have these ideas coming to me at a like a, a vast amount of ideas. And it was the point where I was like writing maybe over 200 notes, two page length within a month. That was December 2019 when I started it. So like there's power within that if you use it, but also like that crash, like yeah. when you're feeling good, but then you go down, like it's something different, definitely. So, you know, um, thank you for speaking about that. So switching gears, uh, can you tell us about your current role working with law enforcement, please? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I am still running a Beautiful Mind Foundation and, and that will uh, be the case for many, many years. 
But as I said earlier, that was a full-time, overtime, volunteer role. So I am now the media relations slash mental health programs manager for the city of Hyattsville, Maryland Police Department. Um, nice. <laughs> I, I just nice. finished my, my fourth week on the job. And I have to say, even now, as, as I talk about it, it still kind of blows my mind that I, I started working for a police department in this current state of our country. Um, the law enforcement are, are having a tough time right now. Um, and I definitely never thought I would work for a law enforcement agency. It, it wasn't, you know, again, going back to where, where's the organization, where's the, my foundation going to be in five years? Um, mm. Where am I going to be in five years? I, <laughs> I had no idea um, that working for law enforcement or even government was part of my trajectory. Um, mm. And really it's because of the foundation I, I had through a very odd series of events in happened uh, one, one day, I ended up sitting down with the police chief and the deputy police chief uh, for what I thought was a casual conversation about my foundation and what I might be able to do as a volunteer in the community. And it turned into me applying for this job, which originally was just a media relations position, but they saw, they see such a value in my work as a mental health advocate and what okay. we're doing with the, with the Beautiful Mind Foundation. And I told them, um, you know, towards the end of our first conversation, which was about an hour and a half long, I said, mm -hmm. there's something I need you all to know because I talk about this publicly. I said, I live with bipolar disorder. And the chief looked mm -hmm. at me and this African-American woman said, oh, so okay. people can, right, right? Yeah, she said, yeah. oh, so people can really relate to you. And that was it. Mm -hmm. So they, they yep. see yep. everything, my background in journalism, communications, my work as a mental health advocate and my diagnosis, they see all of it as an asset to the department. And so I, I look at it as I am an example. My role in it is an example of police reform and, that, and that, cr that cry for defunding the police, right? We know defunding the police is not about cutting police jobs and getting rid of law enforcement. That, that's ridiculous. I don't want to live in a world where there's no police. We, there's always going to be bad guys. But, mm -hmm. but my role is, going, is, is helping to support the department's efforts to create uh, mental health programming that supports not just the officer's well-being, but how they are able to um, better support people who are in emotional and psychological crisis. Yes, thank you uh, for your work. That's definitely important. And you know, having the ability to relate to people is crucial. And mm -hmm. you know, we're seeing that authenticity. I can't say the word right now. Authenticity, authenticity is key. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what she said. Yeah, but uh, we're, we're seeing that, that that's key right now. And, you know, we're seeing the death of celebrities and these influencers and more so just people sharing their authentic stories because we're going through this together, you know, and we're only going to get through this if we come through together. And that's one oh, thing I yes. want to put out there, that a community approach to this problem. So um, I've had a couple incidents. So with uh, let, let me tell you what happened. So. I worked in emergency response for students at a university for students who live on campus. So I've dealt with um, roommate conflicts, domestic disputes, 20 on 20 fights, homemade weapons, drugs, uh, mental health issues, suicidal ideation. And I had this one student, a phenomenal student, but he was having some suicidal ideation. And of course, because of policies and procedures, uh, the school, we have to call if that occurs. 
But when the officer arrives, it kind of got escalated due to a lack mm-hmm. of empathy and training. Another incident that occurred was, um, you know, 2020, 2020, and I'm temporarily back with my parents. So mm-hmm. um, they never saw me with a depressive episode uh, before. So there was a time like a few weeks ago where mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling good. Like I was in the darkness and um, I had to give them a disclaimer of please do not call the police or emergency services. Um, and I wanted to make sure that we were on the same page because I didn't want them to assume I couldn't handle it and uh-huh. them trying to resolve it on their own, you know. Um, and my mother didn't understand why I told her not to call the police. And I told her because, you know, majority of the people who have transitioned by the police have had mental health conditions. And in general, like I have anxieties around, you know, with law enforcement sometimes, too. So mm-hmm. she just hugged me and she understood at that point. That's the sad truth that we are living in in this world. So yeah. can you explain what CIT training is and how it applies to these situations, please? Sure. So CIT International is an organization and CIT stands for a crisis intervention team training. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a program and, and I will admit that I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but it is a program designed for law enforcement to help them be uh, better prepared to interact with people who are experiencing some kind of a crisis. And within mm-hmm. that training is a focus on mental health support. And so that officers are able to best engage someone who um, may be severely depressed and and um, and suicidal or someone who may be experiencing psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, it really gives the officers an extra tool to support the community so that when they do arrive on the scene of someone who's in emotional distress, instead mm-hmm. of approaching them and seeing that person as kind of a... Um, maybe a suspect who they need to control or contain, um, they can now see this person as someone with an illness who needs help and isn't necessarily um, automatically a danger to themselves or to the officer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I definitely, I appreciate the fact that you were able to communicate with your mother, um, how you feel about interacting with law enforcement at a time when you might be in crisis. I lost a friend, an African-American male, uh, when we were 24 years old. He, he died in a police shooting after right. a series of events. And um, he seemed to be experiencing the early stages of um, some sort of, I believe, serious mental illness. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he came out of a house after having attacked someone and he was holding a knife and the police immediately shot him. There was mm-hmm. no de-escalation attempt. And so um, that is a situation where if those officers had had CIT training, they might have been able to save him, save him from Mm. himself. They might have been able to prevent that tragedy from happening. Um, and And I share that because I do work for a police department now and I come to that department with that experience. Um, there are a number of other, uh, trainings that law enforcement can also take that support their ability to engage people who are living with a, a mental illness um, or who may be experiencing symptoms for the first time. We're, we're, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of people um, exhibiting symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder because of what's happening with coronavirus and, and mm-hmm. um, a lot of other stressors. We have the election coming up and whichever way that goes, people are going to mm-hmm. have very strong emotional and psychological yeah. reactions. Um, but so uh, related to CIT, that young man's mother went on to work with 
law enforcement agencies in New Jersey to bring them CIT training. And um, I just want to honor her and recognize her, Carol Manigault, because she passed away just last week. Um, but she was doing great work. And, and we've honored her, um, her son, Jelani, actually, with a grant called the Friends of Jelani Grant through a Beautiful Mind Foundation. And so we will try to carry on their, their legacy and their work. Um, and, and just the love that Ms. Manigault shared by bringing more understanding yeah. to our um, to our community with mental health support training for law enforcement and just the general population as you are doing. Mm-hmm. And there's no try. You are, you know, honoring the legacy <laughs> and you're doing it in a phenomenal way. So, you know, I, I got to pick you up on that one. You know, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You know, let's get on a little happier stuff, you know, and really help people out here to, you know, create change. So uh, you are a fundraising beast. Like you're nice. <laughs> you're, you're good. So <laughs> thank you. This, this, this is a tool for, you know, our entrepreneurs and small business owners. Right. So can you provide some tips for fundraising for organizations and what you wish you knew when you first started? Sure. Well, um, so I have to say that I come from in my background, there is fundraising because I was on the board of directors for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society back in Las Vegas, and we did mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of fundraising. So I didn't walk into this blind when I created a Beautiful Mind Foundation. It, it was part of my past experience that I knew I could fall back on. But mm-hmm. um, I think one of the biggest tools is just to, to keep in mind that you never know who has money to give. So mm. don't ever assume that someone doesn't have money. And it and it might just be $5. Uh, we're running mm. a campaign right now. We're asking people for $10. Um, but in asking for $10, somebody donated $150. Wow. So Yeah. So never assume that somebody doesn't have money to give. People will always want to support your cause. And so if they can't give money, they may promote your, your cause and your mission. And that may lead to other people giving way more money than that one individual might ever be able to give. So mm. never assume that someone can't give you money um, and just talk about your cause. If this is your passion, it comes through. And this, and this is what people keep saying to me that they, they see that this is my passion and this is my mission. And it mm. makes it easier for them to get behind it because they know that, that, I'm for real this, you know, I'm, I'm not asking for a $5 handout so I can go down the street and buy a sandwich. Um, this is something that's for a a greater cause. So just, um, live your passion. And when you talk about it, it comes through, um, let people know exactly how the money will be spent. And Mm. so there were times in the past year when we fundraised and we were in a financial position where we could say 100% of the proceeds or 100% of your donation will go directly to the grants. People mm. like to know exactly how their money's being spent. And so when you can say, if you donate this, this is where it's going, um, mm. you, you have a better chance of receiving that donation. Um, and just don't take it personally. You know, somebody yeah. saying, no, I won't donate, unless they call you a bad name while they're saying no. Um, and even if they did, that's them. Somebody, you know, peed in their cereal that morning. It has nothing mm. to do with you. Um, yeah. It is it is never personal. People have their own reasons for giving and it can have nothing to do with you or your cause. If they say no, look to the next person and ask the next person. Okay. Well, I definitely appreciate it. Thank you for giving us that knowledge and information and all of you out there who are working on building your own legacy. Definitely please apply it. You know, there are billions of people in this world. So if one person says no, there you have a ton of other people to ask. Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, 
truly grateful for you coming on here, Adrian. Uh, can you please plug anything you may have coming up and how can people reach out to you? Sure. So, um, well, the first week of October is Mental Illness Awareness Week, the 4th through the 10th. We are currently on mainly on Facebook. We're posting a little bit on Instagram. You can find us on both A Beautiful Mind Foundation. Um, we are doing the 10 for 10 challenge. We're asking people to spend 10 minutes a day or do 10 reps of some activity. So 10 push-ups, 10 sit-ups, 10 crunches, or 10 minutes of jogging, walking. I'm doing a 10 minute private dance party every day for 10 days um, nice. in recognition of the correlation between good physical health and good mental health. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, we want people to get up and get active, just do something that makes you feel good. And then if you want to donate $10 to a beautiful mind foundation, of course, there's, there's the plug always fundraising. Um, but also challenge your friends to do it. We really just want people to continue to talk about mental health and mental illness and recognize that there is a link between your physical activity and your physical health and your psychological health. Um, the website is a beautiful mind uh, there is a form on there where you can sign up to to follow us. We send no more than four uh, emails a month. And then you can also shoot us an email through that website and uh, and reach me and the other board members. And uh, we can connect that way. I like how you said we only send four emails a month because some organizations send a lot of emails. So oh, it's definitely. too much. Yeah, it's too much. Too and much. and quite, quite frankly, I mean, we're a, we're a small group of volunteers right now. We just don't even have the capacity to do more than four a month. So Yep, exactly. <laughs> we don't have the time, the energy, and I'm not trying to bombard everybody because then it just turns into white noise and we end up in your junk mail. I don't want to do yep. that. <laughs> Indeed. But thank you so much for gracing us with your presence on the podcast. We truly appreciate you. And everyone, please make sure you go ahead and check out our mini series, the Melanated Mental Health Moment Quarantine Edition, which is also in the show notes. So Adrian, thank you so much. And, you know, talk to you later. Thank you, Taryn. It's been great. The Miseducation of the People is proudly produced by the Real Talk Session Series, where all they do is provide that real talk only. All right, peace.